welcome to Parallel Attack Podcast with Accessibility Sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 66. We've talked before about virtual reality on the show and its application for so many different things beyond gaming, which I think is what most people think about VR in in terms of. Uh, And today we have a very specific application that has to do with providing virtual reality experiences for people with disabilities that they might not otherwise have in their typical life. And we're talking with someone who's developed some of those experiences. His name is Freik Toynen. He is a virtual and augmented reality expert in the field of business and medical use. At the Efteling theme park, he successfully developed a VR dream flight for disabled visitors to the park. It has been open since 2018. Toynen also has other VR projects going on, and we're going to get to those as we move through our conversation. Freik Toynen, welcome to Parallel. Well, thank you so much for inviting me today. <laughs> Happy to have you. Tell me how you got involved in, in virtual reality. How'd that become an interest of yours? Um, I did a technical study at the University of Twente in Enschede in the Netherlands. And the whole point of the study was to uh, um, see how we can uh, combine new technologies together to create solutions for uh, you know all kinds of challenges and, and uh problems that we face nowadays. So we really believe that um, with the current technology stack that we already have, we can solve so many more uh, problems uh, that we are facing right now. So we want to be smart and creative with that. And it was at that study that I first got in touch with a virtual reality experience. It was actually from a PhD student who was doing all kinds of uh, uh, psychological experiments. And the reason why I got so involved and interested in that because this technology was the, for the very first time it could give me a specific feeling and um, experience an emotion in a way that I did not really experience on a regular monitor or a computer screen. So I found that very interesting. I mean, for example, if you've ever experienced a virtual reality experience where um, where you are on a great height, for example, right? then it really feels like you are on a great height. And people with fear of heights actually really experience their fear in a very uh, (laughs) dramatic way. And it's because of that that I got interested in it. And um, I wanted to do much more with that. So during my studies, I already uh, uh, had the idea to maybe apply VR in a theme park, but I had no idea I would go into the full accessibility route. But you were thinking about people's experiences and how a VR experience can be an enhanced version or a, or a very different version of a, of a real experience. Yeah, I mean, in all these technologies that we have nowadays, we want a user to experience something, right? And to make them feel a specific emotion. And I really believe that VR is one of the best ways to do that, because if if you are virtually in, for example, in a cage together with a, a predator, then you really feel very scared of that. And on the other hand, if you are in a virtuality environment, which is very relaxing, your your blood pressure lowers, your heart rate lowers, your whole it, it has a, a physiological effect on you, and that's what it, what it, what makes it so incredibly interesting to me. Well, let's talk about the the dream flight that you created for Efteling Theme Park. Uh, and what was the genesis of that project, and what is it? 
Yeah, so um, yeah, the, the project started actually as an internship during my studies. And the general idea was to figure out how we could make the park experience better for uh, visitors who were in a wheelchair. So it was very broad in the beginning. And of course, I had to use technology in order to solve a, a, you know, a problem in this case. How I started um, there, I actually, in one of the first weeks, um, I actually went into a wheelchair and into the park because I, I knew the theme park very well, but I had never experienced it in a wheelchair. So I wanted to see what it's like to you know, be in that position. And what I quickly figure out is that one of the most, yeah, uh, most popular attractions at this theme park was not accessible for visitors in a wheelchair. And it was also very illogical because um, you have to explain to the general public that you can go into a roller coaster, but somehow you cannot go into this very cute um, attraction where you are in a, in a gondola and you're flying in this fairy tale forest and somehow you can't do that but you can't go in a roller coaster that's very strange to a lot of people um, and what they don't understand is that a lot of these attractions they were built um, a lot of time a long time ago and yeah because of safety issues it was simply not possible for uh, someone in a wheelchair to enter this attraction so there was really not any technical possibility to change this attraction in order for someone in a wheelchair to enter. And that's where I figured, well, um, with a virtual reality experience, you can let someone experience anything, right? Why not um, bring the experience of this attraction to the wheelchair instead of putting the, the visitor in a wheelchair in this attraction? And that's how it all started. So, so what can you describe the attraction a little bit? What's it like? Imagine this attraction a little bit like, um, I think the best comparison is if, if anyone has experienced Disneyland, this is a little bit like the Peter Pan's flight, which is also very popular at uh, Disneyland, right? So you're in this, this flying gondola and you, you are going into different scenes with, uh, for example, with castles, with fairy tales, with trolls in a forest, and you experience all kinds of very cute, charming things. And there's smell as well. So you smell the flowers and um, there's this very nicely composed music. And at some point it gets a little more intense because you're going into this troll forest. And um, so it's, it, yeah, imagine that for five minutes um, that, you know, it's an attraction for every age. And it's one of the oldest one in the park and also one of the most popular ones in the Netherlands. And what's the hardware experience? Is the wheelchair user wearing a standard VR headset or do they have other other hardware? Yeah, so um, how, we, how, we, how we solve this, of course, virtuality in theme parks is still uh, difficult because you need a, a dedicated space for someone to use a VR goggle. You cannot really give it and, and you don't want to... to uh, you know, put someone in a restaurant or somewhere in the back. It all needs to be themed and nice and, and according to protocols and safety and stuff like that. So in this case, we have a dedicated uh, room. And in this dedicated room, we have so-called um, four VR sets and uh, divided into two. 
So together with a friend or a family member, you can experience VR. And on the other, on the other side, there's another sort of a VR cabin, if we may call it that. And what you do is you put on the VR headset. And um, when you put on the VR headset, you're in this waiting room. And then when your friends or family, because this is where it gets interesting, your friends or family members who are not in a wheelchair, they can actually go into the actual attraction. They will get a, a headset, like an audio headset. And when they are um, at the beginning of the attraction, the experience is synchronized and you experience the same thing simultaneously. While if you're in a wheelchair, you experience it in VR. And if you're not in a wheelchair, you experience it for real. In doing some reading about this, I noted that you say that that allows the pe- person in the wheelchair to communicate with the person they're, they're with while both of them are having the experience. Exactly, exactly. So that's, of course, for a theme park, one of the most important aspects, right? I mean, virtual reality, you, you, as, as, you, as you say, uh, as, as you said already in your introduction, a lot of people, they, they think of gaming when they think of virtual reality. And also a lot of um, designers, especially user experience designers, they think of VR as a sort of a personal experience, very private, very lonely, because you you have this headset and you don't see anyone around you anymore. And of course, for a theme park, what is most important is that you enjoy yourself together with your friends or family or your children. um, And you want to feel like you experience something um, together with them. So to solve this, we actually use, you call it an intercom system, but it's the same thing, you know, what we are doing right now, we're calling each other. Um, and if you synchronize the experience and you give the ability to call with each other, then you can discuss what you're seeing and you have the idea actually that you're seeing and experiencing this together. You said that when you began working on this project, you spent some time in the theme park using a wheelchair. And I wonder what you learned from that experience that affected the way you designed this project. I think for anyone who is um, designing something for accessibility, and especially if you are, if you don't have a, a handicap yourself, it's, it's difficult to understand exactly what the experience is like for someone who needs your solutions. So what I learned during my studies is uh, to always give yourself some time to create empathy for for any type um, of of, uh, visitor or user, right? In this case, it was especially for users who were in a wheelchair. But the the experience of uh, being in a wheelchair and and, and seeing all the attractions and the park is totally different um, than while you're walking because walking is already part of the experience and your perspective is actually a lot higher. So while doing that, I discovered, for example, that um, at some attractions while you're waiting or when there's a lot of crowds, I am a very tall person. So usually I, I am so tall that I can um, see over other people. But now suddenly I, I, I'm looking towards people um, and I cannot see the same things that I would normally see. Um, other things that I discovered while being in a wheelchair is that um, some uh, aspects of, of you know simple things like going to a toilet or going into a restaurant sometimes are is, is more difficult if, if you're in a wheelchair because for example doorknobs are much higher than you're used to or doors open towards you instead of 
um, away from you. And it's stuff like that that you um, understand much better what um, yeah what the experience is like for uh, these target groups. And that I think you can design much better experiences when you keep all of this in mind um, than while you're doing it from, you know, your usual perspective. What you're describing is a way of interacting with the physical space that's very different because you're, you're seated, you're not as tall, you're having to interact with physical objects and doors and uh, sight lines and that sort of thing in a certain way. And I can see how that would be very informative if you're trying to to redesign the physical space, but I'm wondering if that has any uh, relevance to virtual reality and how you think about designing a virtual reality experience that might benefit somebody who's using a wheelchair. Um, I don't think it's necessarily about the, uh, the you know, and indeed my goal is not to um, redesign doorknobs or uh, other practical aspects, but I think um, it's it's getting it's learning how to be empathic, empathic, how do you call it in English? Yeah. To create empathy for this target group. That's, that's the whole reason. So it's, it's, it's learning, um, yeah, what it is like. Also the whole experience uh, of being together with someone who's behind you all the time. You know, it's, it's stuff like that to get to more of a feeling and a sense of what it's like to be in this theme park in a wheelchair. And I think, for yeah, for any type of experience, it helps to understand that. Uh, and if you translate that to a very uh, maybe uh, practical aspect, so because in this case there is also a physical aspect, which is um, using the VR goggle and having this physical space. It's because we have tried extensively and tested out extensively with the persons in wheelchairs that we knew what type of hardware that we wanted to use and also how to create this physical space that there was enough room to move around and maneuver any type of um, wheelchair, also the electric ones. Um, and for example, another thing that we thought of um, was in the protocol that for example, when someone was going in, in, a, in an electric wheelchair, that before we put on the virtual headset, we ask them to turn off their electric wheelchair right. just for just in case um, they accidentally hit the joystick, for example, and they move around while wearing the VR headset. Then you know everything could be messed up <laughs> or sure. broken. Um, so it's because of that, that that you can design much better. Since the VR Dream Flight has been installed, have you learned anything from people who have used it that has made you think about how you might uh, update the design or change it in any way? Yes. Yeah, so um, actually, I, I, sometimes I uh, um, I see reviews, for example, online, and people talk in their review about the virtual reality uh, attraction. And I always love to read that because usually it's uh, uh, it goes together with the story that well, it, it has been over twenty years that I could go into this attraction. Now I can finally experience it again. Um, because for some some of these visitors. They uh, visited the attraction when they were when they were a child and when it just opened. Then they got an accident, for example, and then they couldn't uh, enter it anymore. And now they get all these nostalgic feelings again. From wow, finally, you know, you you enable them again to experience this. So usually, all the the reactions are really good. 
And people are also talking about other attractions, even attractions that are accessible for uh, visitors in a wheelchair. People are asking if uh, these could also um, be made into virtual reality. Um, and regarding, yeah, updating the hardware. I mean, it, it is it opened in 2018. So of course the VR hardware could be updated. Um, but I think the experience wise, it's still very up to date. And I think it could translate very well to all uh, kinds of attractions uh, of other theme parks too. You've worked on some other VR projects since then that have application for people with disability, including a virtual playground. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, it was around the same time that we opened the uh, virtual dream flight that we also had the idea, me and a, and a stu uh, colleague, student. Um, so we both studied and we had the idea that if we can create virtual environments, what if we would create a virtual playground? Because we figured that there are still some children, uh, especially in hospitals, who cannot always play outside. And if I think back to when I was a child, the thing I, I liked to do most was play outside with friends. So we had that idea and then we created a small prototype and we went to a couple of hospitals and they really liked it. So nowadays, um, next to my, um, my day job at VR Owl, which is a, a VR agency, I am also an entrepreneur and working on this virtual playground um, that we offer to hospitals so that children uh, on a care department and then children's department can play together in this virtual playground. So they get the VR headset and, and when they put on the headset, they are in this very colorful, bright, and happy environment and they can play with all kinds of toys together with other children who are also in the hospital. Do kids intuitively understand what's happening you put a headset on their head and say okay now you're in a virtual playground do, do they know what to do or do you have to train them to to be able to use it uh, yeah no children are uh, very responsive to it and as you might have seen if you give a child your iphone for example they immediately uh, seem to understand it's the same <laughs> yes. thing <laughs> yes yeah, the same thing Thing with the virtual reality headset actually um so it, it, you know and it depends on the situation but sometimes um they, they 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 are more figuring out how to move their arm a little bit for the controller while they are for example attached to uh you know all these these machines in hospitals um but vr wise and and how the controller works usually from a uh, when they are around six seven years old they seem to understand it uh, completely and you say they can play together with other people who, who are in the hospital. How, how does that work? Yeah, so there's also a social component in this. And we, we use a multiplayer engine um, in order to enable this. Children put on a, a VR headset. And then uh, if, if more than uh, one uh, person uh, puts on the headset, then they are immediately connected together and uh, they see each other as avatars. So they play uh, either a cute bunny or a cow or a raccoon, and then they can play as that in this virtual environment. And you see others as this avatar, and there is a voice chat so you can talk with each other using your voice. 
Sounds like fun. I'd like to do that. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, this is just a, a question for, from my ignorance because I've worn VR headsets a time or two, and they're rather heavy. Are are there a fair number of child size VR headsets out there? Was it easy to source the hardware? Oh, it was not too hard. So in the in the early days, we used the the Gear VR, which was actually pretty fine. Um, later, we used the Oculus Go, and now we are using the Pico G2 4K. And the nice thing about that is that it has uh, sort of a counterweight at the back. And it's because of this counterweight that uh, you don't have to attach the VR headset too tight to the face. From our experience, it seems to work perfectly fine on children uh, starting from uh, five to six years old. And I'll ask you a similar question to what I asked about the VR Dreamscape. Once you got this going and had kids actually using it, were there things you learned that either surprised you or caused you to want to update the design in any way? Well, a lot of a lot of children they got inspired and they were asking, you know, about other types of applications or um, if they could other uh, if they could do other types of games in VR. So a lot of these children. For them, it was the first time that they, they uh, had the VR headset on and they had all these ideas what would be possible in this virtual space that, of course, it's way too much for us to implement. Um, but it also shows that there's so much potential in, uh, in VR um, that is still you know, not used or not being made. And children have the greatest ideas about this. <laughs> so for, yeah, for, for us, there we we've learned um for example we did not really implement anything new after the first six months of testing um we did not really implement anything new that that we uh, we got surprised by so you did a good job in the first place is what you're saying it sounds like you you made something that kids were excited about well we developed it together with kids so okay. that also helps so we figured that um, we did it. We did two or three different projects. Um, one is that we actually went to a school and we asked children between the ages of eight and twelve what they did when they were playing outside. And those those were you know the initial ideas that we got. And then another project that we did was at the at the high school, and they were doing a project where uh, they had to do some research into, you know, the perfect playground. So that was their research project. Children are working on it. And we did not ask them to create a VR environment as a prototype. We asked them to create a 3D um, uh, map uh, from paper mache. So with paper rolls, with paper mache, and with all kinds of uh, goods to, uh, to fiddle around with, they created, uh, I think we had like, 40 different playgrounds <laughs> and from that we took a couple of different learnings and then we actually started you know developing the real vr uh, playground with all these ideas of playing um and and the playground design combined plus we were working together with um play psychologists and it's actually uh, uh, an expertise uh, in psychology um we worked together with them as well to make sure that everything that we were doing was really trying to benefit the children in a, a mental and psychological way. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to ask about that because it does sound like it's one thing to design something that 
works technically or even looks nice, but you want to make sure that it's beneficial. And especially when kids are playing together, you want to make sure that it's a kind of experience that's going to foster that sort of, you know, collaboration and joint fun experience, I would, would imagine. Exactly. And maybe that's one learning that uh, I've gotten over the years now. And it's also a, a psychological thing is that you behave in VR the same way as you would behave in uh, uh, real life, which means that if you give children the opportunity to hide behind a tree in VR, then they will do the exact same thing as they would do in real life and play hide and seek. <laughs> you know, so um, and in psychology, the same thing is applied. So um, in healthcare, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, applications for for mental health in VR. And for example, what they uh, do, and the, there was also a research project uh, done with this for uh, people with uh, specific addictions um, to help them. They put them virtually in a situation where their addiction would uh, come up and then um, help them to get over it because their behavior is, is, is similar. Um, that's that's a, a cool thing about VR. Sure. So another project you've worked on is one that, gives people without disabilities an understanding of what it's like to have certain kinds of visual disabilities. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So for one project we did was for an organization that helps patients and clients who have different eye disorders understand what patients are going through. So we created an uh, augmented reality filter that would simulate the eye disease and you could use your uh, camera of your phone and see what someone with a specific eye uh, dis uh, disorder would also see. And they use that, for example, for uh, yeah, groups of families where one family member uh, would be diagnosed with, with a specific eye disease. They would show this application um, to make sure that they understand what their family member and this patient is going through. So it helps uh, to build up empathy. Um, and it's the same thing you can also do with Virtual reality, uh, for example, um, the nice thing about uh, VR is that you can put someone in a new environment, but also in a different body. So imagine that you would uh, put someone in a, in a body where, uh, for example, specific uh, body parts uh, would, would be missing or um, where you would see the world from a whole different perspective of someone who has a specific uh, disability. It would help. Um, you know, make sure that family members, uh, policymakers, uh, managers, designers uh, understand much better um, what, what they are dealing with and what other people they experience in the world. For this augmented reality project, what's the hardware people are using to interact? In this case, we were, we were using uh, uh, the Snapchat engine, actually. So we're using your mobile phone and tablet. And the nice thing about that is that uh, Snapchat and also uh, Facebook with Instagram, they have created this whole platform to create augmented reality applications. And it's free to use, but you have to use the either you know the, the Snapchat uh, app or the Instagram app to access it. In this case, it was not a, a problem. And the more people would see this filter, actually the better, because we would build up empathy um you know for a whole larger group 
Um, so we use that and uh, you don't have to wear, you know, AR glasses or whatever. You could just simply uh, use your phone. So people are going to encounter it just as they're using Snapchat, maybe, if it's a filter that's available, right? Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and make them curious, like, okay, this is a specific eye disease. And this filter did not only simulate the eye disease, it, would, it also gives information about the eye disease. So mm-hmm. it would uh, tell you um, there, there were a couple of variables. So you could um, uh, select yourself how, uh, uh, yeah, let's say that, you know, the, the visual would be. And you would see how many people are suffering from that um, in the Netherlands. She would also learn more about the disorder and how many patients we have in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So in general, I guess I, I wonder for people who, who listen to this and think, oh, those are really interesting, great applications and, and maybe are also interested in either designing or, or developing applications that have in, in either VR or AR, any kind of mixed reality that have applications for people with disabilities. Do you have advice for them or how they should, should get started or how they should be thinking about what kinds of applications would be interesting to work on? Ooh, oh, so much. I mean, I, I think there's, there's so much potential to use VR for accessibility. So imagine any type of place or location where uh, a particular person cannot go to, then VR or AR would be a really, really great solution. And for example, you also saw that last year during, uh, or the year before that, <laughs> during the pandemic, and especially in the beginning, when uh, everyone was in lockdown at home, I think for the first time, people are actually experiencing what it's like to uh, yeah, be living with a severe handicap, because these p- people also cannot move and cannot go outside as easily as we do. Um, And what you see is that people were using VR, for example, to go on a virtual holiday or to enjoy themselves and to visit all kinds of places or, um, you know, to do all this uh, stuff and hang out with the friends and family um, while they were locked inside. Now, for the first time, people actually understood (laughs) what these uh, people were going through. So I think um, yeah, using VR can be done for so many applications. I would suggest talk with um, with people that you want to make an accessibility feature for. Um, try to visualize or try to, you know, walk a mile in their shoes. That's an English uh, term, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as I did, for example, with the wheelchair, um, as you can do with tools like this augmented reality filter that I created and try to understand what they go through. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of different possibilities will uh, come up where uh, either a virtuality goggle or an augmented reality goggle would be uh, really beneficial. Are there any resources out there, either uh, uh, things that are on the web somewhere or organizations or people or any any kinds of resources that you would recommend for somebody who wants to get involved in mixed reality? Yeah, I would suggest uh, get yourself a VR headset. That's the first step. Makes sense. <laughs> <And> then, um, <laughs> yeah, because you have to experience it to understand it. And another thing that, that I would suggest is read, read about it and read a lot about it. Um, not as a self-promotion, but I do have a book about it, um, which is really tackling, you know, the basics of 
virtual reality, what you can do and what it is, and also the differences between augmented reality and other types of technologies. Um, I would suggest, you know, reading about it. And um, thirdly, I would suggest going to uh, locations where you know that they've implemented uh, VR. So, for example, a VR arcade is also, you know, a perfect place to start. Um, um, or maybe, indeed, a, a, a theme park that has implemented uh, VR. Um, I think that those are great places to get inspired by. Well, go ahead and promote your book. Tell us about it. <laughs> so, in 2019, my mother is a writer. And I, uh, I got her very, uh, you know, curious and inspired her to learn more about virtual reality. And 2019, we decided, well, there should be a book about really the basics and how to design a virtual reality experience and uh, what the possibilities are. So we decided to write this book and, and we launched it, at, I think, at the beginning of uh, the pandemic, when there was also a lot of interest. In VR, so so it got a lot of uh, interest from uh, people who were really just starting out. And the whole idea of the book is to, yeah, basically get you started and uh, um, and give you the first uh, pieces of information you really need to know and the different terms and definitions of them um, and stuff like that. So probably more focused on designing or thinking about what kind of applications you want to build rather than the nuts and bolts of developing them. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am also not a developer myself. Um, um, so it's really not about the development, but really about how to create a concept and uh, what to use it for. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, tell us uh, where we can find you online, what, what, you, what your work uh, is, and also where we can find the book online. Tell us the name of it and where people can get it if they want it. Is, is it in Dutch or in English or both? Yeah, it's in, it's, it's in both, actually. So you can find it on uh, Amazon. Uh, for the Kindle, um, only as an ebook, um, and you can find it. Uh, the title is "Virtual Reality for Business," and then if you put my name, Freek, uh, behind it, then you will uh, then you'll definitely find it. And it's also on the website freekteunen.com. Um, and if you are interested to learn more about VR, I would suggest uh, everyone to follow me on LinkedIn because I post twice a week about uh, all kinds of news and uh, new developments that I see in uh, VR and AR. Um, so that's also a great uh, place to find me. And it's on LinkedIn using yeah using my name. Great. Uh, well, Freik Toinen, thank you so much for being on Parallel and uh, telling us about your work with uh, Mixed Reality. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> If you'd like to keep up with this podcast, you can go to relay.fm slash parallel, where you'll find all of our shows, our show notes, transcripts for each and every episode, and how you can become a member of Relay FM, which is a thing you should do because membership is awesome. You can also follow us on Twitter over at Parallel Pods, or you can follow me personally at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye now.